the second question you asked was, on good days the current of self is strong and thoughts appear and disappear automatically. But on most days thoughts take shape and attention drifts away from the self before one realises that attention has moved from the self to the thought and pramada or inattention, inattention has occurred. Um, verse 921 of uh, Guru Kuvai advises one to ignore the mind as if it were non-existent. Um, this works sometimes but not always. How can one constantly remind oneself that this world is unreal and thereby ignore the mind. That is, Bhagavan has, as you correctly imply here, Bhagavan has taught that the world, that means everything that we, all phenomena, are unreal, because so long as we take them to be real, our mind will be going out after them. So we, we need to have this understanding that the world is unreal in order to um, in order to reduce the speed with which the mind, the, in this verse of, I think in this 921, Bhagavan talks about the vehem, the, the momentum with which the mind goes outwards. So we, to, in order to reduce that, that, that momentum or velocity with which we're rush, rushing outwards, we need to have this conviction that the world is unreal. But when we're actually practicing self-investigation, we should be completely indifferent to the world. That is, once we understand the world is unreal, we should be indifferent to it. So then our attitude should be, let the world be real or unreal, it's no concern of mine. My only concern is to know who am I. So, um, the, the understanding the unreality of all these things is, is a very good starting point. But we shouldn't continue dwelling on the idea that these are unreal. These are unreal. We're not concerned about what is unreal. We're concerned about what is real. What is real is only ourself, only our own being. I am. That alone is real. That alone is what we should attend to. So what Bhagavan says in this verse of 921 of Guru Vachya Kovai, it's a, um, it's a, a very... Um, it's a very nice verse, actually, um, but it's put in a... Murugana has a way of packing a lot into, um, a, in, into a very little. So he uses a word in this verse, irke. Irke means nature, but he's not talking... He doesn't specify what the, nat the nature of what. What he says in the first sentence is, um, uh, Destroying or, or killing the, destroying or killing the nature is not possible for anyone. So what does he mean there by nature? As Sadhuam explains, uh, nature there means, the, uh, in, in Tamil he explains, is manatin prabriti ilbe. That is the outward going nature of the mind. I think you understand the word prabriti. Prabriti means that uh, going outwards. That nature we, that cannot be destroyed by anyone, Bhagavan says. So then how do, we, how do we get rid of this mind? Then he goes on to say, E.K. Porol Andrew, Andrew uh, 
uh, ir, ir, uh, sorry, it's difficult for me to, irahai, you know, I can, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Irahai, uh, uh, it's, it's a difficult word for me to pronounce. Um, but what that means is we should be, we, we should discard this, this mind, the nature of the outward-going nature of mind, we should discard it as Andrew means it's not a thing at all. It has no, it has no reality, no substance to it. And then he goes on to say, Ikeku uh, Adipade. Adipade means the, the, the foundation. So the foundation for the, this outward-going nature of the mind, in other words, the foundation of the mind, Adipade Am Tanne, oneself who is the, the foundation for this outward-going nature of the mind. That is, the mind couldn't rise and go outwards except for ourselves. We are the underlying reality. Um, uh, knowing that and um, abiding in that, um, if, if we know and abide as, 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 as ourself, um, which is the, the, the foundation, the, the underlying reality of this mind, padi padi ai vehem kedom, gradually, step by step, padi padi literally means step by step, vehem kedom, vehem there means the, that outward going momentum of the mind, uh, that will be destroyed. So all we have, we, we cannot, we, um, Bhagavan used to give an analogy to illustrate this. That Bhagavan used to tell the story of uh, Bali. I don't know, are you familiar with the story? Bali was the um, elder brother of um, Sukriban, who was the king of uh, the monkeys, and Hanuman was his minister. Um, but Bali uh, had a boon. He had done some tapas and he got a boon, but whoever he faces in battle, should, he, he would get half of the strength of whoever he faced in battle. So he himself is a very powerful warrior. If, whoever he may face in battle, if he gets half their strength, he can easily defeat them because he's already got his own power plus half of their power. He's automatically more powerful than anyone he confronts in battle. So even Rama, wouldn't have been able to defeat him in battle. So, so Bali was the younger brother of Sukriban. Sukriban was the rightful king, but his brother had usurped the kingdom and also stolen his wife. And um, he was ruling over the kingdom. Sukriban wasn't able to do anything because whenever he tried to challenge his younger brother, he would be defeated. So um, when Rama was on his way to uh, Lanka, to, uh, uh, to, regate, to rescue Sita from Ravana, he came to this, uh, to this country of these monkeys and he knew they would, they would be great allies for him. Um, so he wanted to get Sukrivan on his side, but so long as Vali is, is, is there, he, he didn't want to take Vali on his side because Vali is, is acting against righteousness by usurping his brother's kingdom and taking his wife. Um, so, uh, in order to restore to uh, Sukriban what is rightfully his, the throne, he, um, Bali said, you challenge your brother in battle. 
I, I, will, I will deal with him. And uh, every time uh, Sukrivam challenged Bali, Bali would come out and easily defeat him. Rama was hiding behind a tree. And finally, at one point, when um, Bali was uh, chasing away Sukrivan, uh, Rama from behind the, uh, came around from behind the tree and shot Bali in the back. Because, because he was not facing Bali, he was able to uh, defeat him. Then as Vali was lying there, he, he said to Rama, how can you, the embodiment of uh, dharma, of righteousness, how can you do such an unrighteous thing to kill me? And then uh, um, Rama said, it was for a greater good. Sometimes you have, I mean, sometimes with what is right action, what is wrong action, we can't always decide because sometimes we, there are two wrong actions but we have to take the, do the, the, we have to take the less harmful course. So he chose the less harmful course. And then Bali said, why do you want to support my brother? Um, if you had, I know that you're going to Lanka to gain back your wife. I could easily defeat uh, Ravana. However powerful Ravana is, I could easily defeat him. So why didn't you take me on your side? And then Rama said, no, you, are, you have done exactly the same as Ravana has done. Ravana has stolen my wife, you stole your brother's wife. So I can't take you as an ally on my side. So um, anyway, Vali then, uh, then uh, died. So the, the point that Bhagavan, I mean, Bhagavan used this story as an analogy. If you confront the mind, if you try to overcome the outgoing inclination of the mind by confronting the mind, the mind will get half of your power. So nobody can, 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 um, can defeat the mind d directly by, by, by opposing mind. The only thing is, as, as he said, we have to, don't consider this mind to be a thing at all. It has no, it's non-existent. What we have to do is to cling to ourself, the underlying reality of the mind, and by clinging to ourselves, gradually, gradually, this outgoing uh, uh, momentum of the mind will decrease and eventually it will be destroyed. So, um, uh, this, is, this is why Bhagavan said, you, you, just like you, Rama couldn't have defeated, nobody could defeat Vali in face-to-face -face combat. The only way, well, in that, the case of that story, Rama had to sh uh, shoot him from behind. Um, but in the case of the mind, how we shoot the mind from behind is by ignoring the mind, that means ignoring all the outward going inclination of the mind and holding on to the, 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 the underlying reality of the mind, the, the, the adipare means the, the foundation, the, the, the base, the adhyasthana or adhara of the mind, that is our self. Only by that we can slowly, slowly decrease the um, the, the outgoing momentum of the mind. In this context, I wanted to mention one other thing also. Um, uh, another analogy Bhagavan gave to illustrate this was he used to say, trying to destroy the mind uh, by any means other than Atmavachara is like a thief posing as a policeman, pretending that he's trying to catch the thief. Recently someone asked me about that, but they took the analogy out of context and they said uh, from this analogy Bhagavan is saying that the mind cannot um, 
the mind cannot destroy itself. So doesn't this mean that even by self-investigation, by Atmavichara, the mind cannot um, destroy itself? And I said, no, that's quite the opposite of what Bhagavan meant. What Bhagavan, uh, I referred to what was recorded in, um, in Maharsha's Gospel, where Bhagavan says, the attempt to destroy the mind by any means other than Atmavichara is like the thief um, posing as a policeman trying to catch the thief. And I, I said, why Bhagavan gave this analogy? What is the reason why the, the thief, what is the aim of the thief when he poses a, as a policeman? He's trying to divert attention away from himself. Because if he's not posing as a policeman, he's a suspect. But if he's posing as the policeman who's trying to catch the thief, nobody's going to suspect him. So he's hiding in broad daylight. He's, um, by, by pretending to be what he is not, he is, he is diverting attention away from himself and say, oh, the thief, he went this way, he went this way, let's run and catch him, and he slips away. So, like that, trying to destroy the mind by any means other than Atmavichara, you are taking the existence of the mind for granted. So long as you take the existence of the mind for granted, um, your, your, your attention is diverted away from the root problem, which is ego, towards other things. Just like the, the thief is trying to divert attention away from himself, trying to divert suspicion away from himself, uh, in order to escape, the mind tries to divert that suspicion away from itself. So the problem is out there. If you do pranayama, if you do mantra japa, if you do dhyana, if you do this, if you do that, that will solve the problem. But, so in that way, the mind is hiding. The problem is mind itself, that mind in the sense of ego. That is the problem. And the only way to get rid of ego is to investigate its reality. Investigating its reality means investigating what it actually is. In other words, investigating our being. What, that is, ego, as Bhagavan said, is the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body. What is real in that adjunct conflated awareness is only I am. I am is the chit portion of the chit jada granti. The jada portion of the chit jada granti is the body. This conflation of, of, of the chit, chit means awareness, jada means not, not aware. So this body is not aware. But, but when the awareness I am is conflated with this body, and we, 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 it seems to us that yeah, we, we're aware of ourselves as I am this body, that is the chit jada granti. Granti means the not. The not is that identification. So ego is neither chit nor is it jada. It's neither the, it's neither the pure awareness I am nor is it um, the body. It is a spurious entity that has arisen between the two, conflating them. So, so long as we... Anything ego does to try to, in the way of sadhana, is going to... Anything ego does means any action done by ego is only perpetuating ego. Self-investigation, though it is ego that is turning its attention on itself, that is not an action. It is ego turning... That, that is, we are investigating the very reality of ego. So when we investigate ourselves and see what we actually are, then 
ego is destroyed because e what is ego? It's only a false awareness of ourself. An awareness of ourself is something other than what we actually are. So the only way to destroy this false awareness is to be aware of ourselves as we actually are. When we're aware of ourselves as we actually are, when we see the, 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 the snake is a, a, a actually not a snake, it's just a rope, we can no longer mistake it to be a snake. Yeah, so, so in, in all other sadhanas, we are, taking the, we, we are taking ego for granted. We are taking it, but we are, we are, I am this person, I am this body, I've got a problem, I have to solve that problem. But the I that is trying to solve the problem is itself the problem. And that I is a false awareness of ourself. So the false awareness can only be destroyed by a correct awareness of ourself. And we can be aware of ourselves as we actually are only by investigating ourselves. And when we're investigating ourselves, when Bhagavan says ignore the mind, what we have to understand is the mind has the, the mind consists of two elements. The essential element of the mind is ego, the first thought I. Because that is the subject. All the other all the other elements of mind, all the thoughts, all other thoughts, are objects. So mind consists of both subject and objects. What we are investing so long as we all other sadhanas, we are attending to objects and thereby sustaining the seeming reality of the subject ego. But when we turn our attention back on the subject to find out who am I, that is turning up, that's what Bhagavan means by ignoring the mind. We're ignoring all the other thoughts. We're ignoring the, the, the pravritti nature of the mind, the outgoing nature of the mind. We are turning our attention inwards to the to what is the essence of the mind, which is ego. And when we're investigating this ego, ego, as Bhagavan says, it's this conflation of the chit portion, I am, and the jada portion, the body. What we're investigating is only the chit portion. So that's what Bhagavan refers to in this verse 921 as the, as the foundational underlying reality of the mind whose nature is going outwards. So it is that we have to buy that chit portion is also sat portions. Chit and sat are one and the same. So awareness is being, being is awareness. So by holding on to our being, we are holding on to the underlying reality of all this. When we see us, when we see who am I, when we see what we actually are, the false awareness of ourselves as I in this body is thereby destroyed, and thereby we remain as we actually are. So we can know ourselves only by being ourselves, and we can be ourselves only by not rising as ego. So long as we attend to anything other than ourselves, ego rises, stands, and flourishes. The nature of ego, as Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Ulutanapatu, grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Grasping and feeding on form, it flourishes abundantly. Leaving form, grasp form. So the very nature of the mind is to constantly grasp form. The very nature of ego, that is, is to constantly grasp form. But ego itself has no, has no, ego has no form of its own. It's a, that's why Bhagavan refers to it as a uruvatra pei. A pei means, is a Tamil word, that means pisasa, like a, a demon or a ghost or some uh, evil spirit.
uh, it is formless, it has no form of its own. So when it performs, it grasps all things other than itself. So attending to anything other than ourself is what Bhagavan refers to there as grasping form. And by grasping form, we are nourishing and sustaining ego. So the only way to get rid of ego, as Bhagavan says in the same verse, Tedinal Otompidikum, if sought, it takes flight. That means if ego investigates its own reality, if it seeks to know who am I, it will take flight. That means it will run away. It, it, in other words, it will cease to exist. Yeah. So in this verse, he, um, verse nine twenty one, he talks about the velocity of the mind. Yeah. It is true uh, um, that the mind slows down over a period of time, but the, it, it doesn't slow down enough. Yeah, but that is that, that velocity he's referring to is the outward going speed. Yeah. That what is the what is the driving force of that outward going uh, velocity or momentum? It is. It is our Vishaya Vasanas. Vasanas have no strength of their own. Vasanas derive their strength from us. Vasanas are our inclinations. Vishaya Vasana, all objects, all phenomena, all forms are Vishayas. So the inclination to attend to anything other than ourselves is a Vishaya Vasana. These Vasanas have no strength of their own. They derive their strength from us because they are our inclinations. So to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by any particular vasana, that vasana is strengthened. In order to weaken the vasana, we need to refrain from being swayed by it. So all Vishaya vasanas are taking our attention away from ourselves. So um, if we want to we can all Vishaya Vasanas, we need to prevent our attention going away from ourselves. We need to hold on firmly to ourselves. That inclination or liking or love to, <coughs> to attend to our own being, that is what is called Sat Vasana. <coughs> sat means being, Vasana means inclination. Sat Vasana is the love to attend to ourselves. The more we practice self-attentiveness, the more we thereby, um, we, the more we, 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 we thereby strengthen the sattvasana. And because we, by holding on to ourselves, we're not allowing ourselves to be swayed by vibhishaya vasana. Vibhishaya vasana is weakened. That is how the, that momentum or vayam, that uh, velocity with which the mind is rushing outward, that's how it gets weakened. We may not necessarily perceive that because as we, as it gets weakened, our mind becomes purer and then we become more painfully aware of that outward going inclination. If, if we talk to a person who's not tried to follow the spiritual path at all, if you talk to them about vasanas, they'll not know what you're talking about. They, they, may, they know their desires and things, but even though my desires are not a problem, no, I want this, I want that. Um, my desires, they think desire, having desires and ambitions and everything, that's a good thing. But when we begin to follow this path, we understand having desires, is, having likes and dislikes, these are the cause of all our problems. And the, 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 all our likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, hopes, fears and everything in their seed form of these vasanas. So the, 
when we talk about Vasa as someone who's trying to follow this path, it's clear what we're talking about because we're very, when we try to turn our attention within and hold on to ourselves, we become very clearly aware of the Vishaya Vasanas. But as our mind becomes more and more purified, the Vishaya Vasanas become weaker, but we become more and more painfully aware of their uh, residual strength. So as the mind gets purer, we become more clearly aware. If you've got a dirty cloth, if the whole cloth is covered with um, like a, a muddy t-shirt or something, the whole thing, you can't see the deep, um, deeply embedded stains. If you wash it once, remove all the more superficial dirt, then you begin to see how the more deeply embedded stains. And as you purify more and more, both the residual stains stand out more and more against the white t-shirt, even the smallest stain stands out clearly. So when the whole thing is muddy, you don't notice it. But as it gets cleaner, you begin to notice the, the dirt, every small speck of dirt is, stands out more and more clearly. Likewise with the mind. So we shouldn't be disheartened because we, just because we're becoming more aware of our own impurities doesn't mean we're, the mind is becoming more impure. It means because the mind is becoming purified, we become more and more clearly aware of the residual impurities. But this, 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 the challenges we face will continue to the end. Until ego dies, that, the vasanas are still there, the inclination to go outwards is still there. So this is, the, this is what Bhagavan refers to in Aksharamlai as Aroporatam, the warfare of grace. This is the warfare between our sattvasana, our liking to go inwards, and all the vishayavasanas, the inclination to go outwards. So that, that is what this spiritual path is all about. Bhagavan often used to say that the spiritual path is a battle fought within our own will. And he used to say in the Puranas, the, all these stories about the, the battles between the Devas and the Asuras, between the gods and the demons, it's all, an, it's all a, a metaphor for this, um, for this battle that is going on in the heart of every spiritual aspirant. The battle between the love to turn within and the residual inclinations to go outwards. So it is the will that causes um, the... It's the will that has got us into our present... That the will is both the cause of our bondage and the means to liberation. That's why Bhagavan used to say, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. In order to overcome all these outward-going desires, we need to have all-consuming love to know ourselves. Only when we have all-consuming love to know ourselves will we will we overcome all these vasanas and finally merge back into ourselves. We do experience liberation from time to time when uh, a particular attachment, for example, uh, there's a strong attachment and it falls away. Yes, yeah, yeah, this, this is all partial liberation. <laughs> but the liberation we're talking about, the true liberation, so long as there's ego, however free ego may feel, it's not free. Ego is itself bondage, as Bhagavan says. So the real liberation is nothing but annihilation of ego. But along the way, 
we do, as these, as the desires and attachments drop off, or they don't drop off entirely, as they grow weaker and weaker, we, they, there is a freedom in this. They, they, we, um, worldly people are constantly seeking to fulfill their desires, thinking if they fulfill their desires, then they'll be happy. But when we come to the spiritual path, we understand the problem is not that we don't have whatever we desire. The problem is that we have the desire for that. So the, the more we go deep in this path, the more we shed the desires, the more freedom and happiness we find within ourselves. So the more we surrender, the happier our life will be. As Bhagavan says, if, we, if we're not surrendering, we, we're like the passenger on the train struggling with his heavy luggage on his head. Why should we suffer like that? Instead of just, the train anyway is carrying all the burden, let us put the entire burden aside on the train. In other words, let us surrender all our cares and concerns to Bhagavan. Let us travel happily. How can we travel happily? So long as we rise as ego, we'll be taking all the burden on our head. The only way is not to rise as ego. In order to avoid rising as ego, we need to cling to our being. Yes, thank you, Michael. Right.